It's the 150th Toby Hazoaks Who's Round, and so at last, my other half makes a cameo appearance. She's real, I didn't make her up. Um, so, um, uh, we've jumped, so we've gone... I think anyone's still listening. Yeah, well, we've got cut down. <laughs> Faithful on. viewer. This will be, we, I think I'll be, I, I envisaged you being five episodes spread across the anniversary. I week. think I'll be there in the 60th anniversary at this rate. Depends if Paul Sprague uh, gets a chance to listen to you. Um, so, uh, well, I've well. set myself a very stupid task. Why didn't I, why did I say an anecdote for every single one of story? Because you'll be glad when you've done it. <laughs> That's why, I think, because it was there. <laughs> Goodness me. Goodness me. So we've uh, we've done the doctor's daughter. We've we will leap over that because well yes, no, I'll, I'll edit it in. Not remember. <laughs> so silence in the library. Stephen Moffat does a two-parter for the first it. time in a while. We've been begging every year. Can I say? Please do two. Please do two. He will go and have a career elsewhere. And so, what's what's the dynamic like between you and him? Are you are you sort of do. You, did you have sort of animated phone calls and flying? What about this? What about that? Or is it here's your script? You go, oh yeah, what about tweaking up? I mean, uh, yes, it, te- yes, to be, it tends to be. Um, by that stage, it was like he'd always said after the first series that he loved writing his first story and wrote to me, so I was saying, please, can I do more? As if you know, and um, and what about this? And he had all sorts of ideas, and one of them was a library, and I was always like, oh, that's a great set. So from series one onwards, it was like, oh, that's a great story, and um, and it took a long time for him to be free to make it a two-parter. Um, so finally, it was the, so it had waited three years. And so you just kind of check, you sort of go, right, libraries, therefore it's set in the future, you know, to judge the other stories next to it. It's like, right, that's set in the future, okay. Um, cost-wise, you kind of sort of say to him, do you know, he started writing, then you know he started writing. And I remember, because of course this is even before, I think around about when he starts writing, um, Donna had been cast, Donna decided to come back. So I do remember having a bit of words with him saying, can you give her a lot to do? Um, which he would do anyway, but, you know, I actually sent that email saying, this is Catherine Tate, she is marvellous, please give her a big story, which he would have done anyway, I'm sure, but it's, it's your kind of job to, to prompt that sort of stuff, just in case. Um, and then you kind of roughly asked, while he's writing, you kind of, I remember at one point in the writing, I was like going, can you tell us the cost roughly? And bizarrely, uh, I remember he wrote back saying, yes, there's a big cybernetic librarian, it's a big cybernetic monster, I think there's a big monster in there, and it turns out to be this kind of groaning, creaking, hissing, big cybernetic librarian, big build, big creature. Okay, fine, budgeted for that. Never saw it again. (laughs) (laughs) In comes that. I've never asked him. You don't, you know. And the money you'd set aside for that became the nodes and the spacesuits. So that's all fine, you know. Uh, but I wonder what... Can you imagine there was once... It'd be great, wouldn't it? It'd be a big hissing, clanging cybernet. And I knew... I must have known... He must have roughly said something about Donna will go off into a parallel world or something, because at the same time I was writing, I was looking at Turn Left. And I'm kind of like, oh, that's a parallel world for Donna. I remember worrying about that and write to him saying, what sort of parallel world is she in? Is it really... That? He's like, oh, it'll all make sense when you see it. Like that. So I was slightly worried about that. So you just vaguely, you don't really know until the script comes in. It's like, you wouldn't do that with any other writer, I've got to say. But um, with Stephen, you just know he's got enough stresses and strains anyway. And it'll be brilliant. So um, he's the one person you could kind of 
leave it alone. Then when it comes in, he'd have, you know, there'd be notes and stuff on it, just as if I was writing scripts now, he'd have notes on mine, just normal, normal script editing stuff. He's the most annoying person to script edit because you'll sit there, you go, page 36, I'm not sure he'd say this. And you go, oh yeah, I rewrote that last night. That's all gone. He's <laughs> literally ahead of you, like literally, and you're going, oh, is there a new version of the script? Oh, I haven't handed it in yet, but no, this is all gone. She no longer exists, and that scene goes in the end of part two. Okay. <laughs> like that, he's literally written ahead of you. It's brilliant. Uh, we miss Unicorn and the Wasp, but that's fine, because I've done the butler from that. Of course uh, we missed the Unicorn and the Wasp. David Quilter, and I know Fenella Wolgar, so, and oh, we haven't got much time. Fenella, so she, she is, isn't she? Uh, I think I'm going to see her and Jeff Rawl at the play and do both oh, of them. But she loved doing it. She's not friend of David, isn't she? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Fenella yes. uh, Wolgar, as her husband, has got a, is a psychologist. That's right. And he said that Midnight was the most accurate depiction of human reactions he'd ever seen. Midnight? Yeah. Oh, Brit, d- so d- there. Doctor Who and the planet Thank of the Daily Mail people. I love it. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Yes. And that you, t- you take a real punt on that, don't you? How do you know that somebody saying something... Just How do you know that's going to work? All I knew was that when kids do it to you, it drives you mad. You know how fair... When you do it to people, when kids do it to people, clean your room, clean your room, you get instantly angry. Yeah. It's, it's something really odd about hearing your words said back to you. You don't have to do it five times to annoy someone. The moment you clean your room, clean your room. Shut up! Shut up. And it's, you're instantly a volcano. Why? Toby, why? I don't think Midnight answers that at all, but it says that there's something about robbing your words of power there, of making you unoriginal, of making you just a voice. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I wrote a whole 45 minutes about it. Why does it do that? Why does it... Are we our voices? What are we? It's just interesting, isn't it? But yeah. It really touches a nerve with anyone. If you do yeah. it to anyone, no one can react calmly if you do it to them. They all go, stop it. Can't do it for long to people. And it's why kids do it, because they know it's annoying. Fascinating, isn't it? A whole episode built on that. You couldn't have known. Right? I keep saying I think you can go online and find the script of Midnight. That's around. It's online the Writer's Tale website or something. And um, you can't tell on the page whether it works. You just have to trust your ear. Anyway, and we had to chuck out an entire Tom McRae script for that in Century House, which is a lovely story about the Doctor involved in like a, a live transmission from a haunted house, and guess what? Haunted house things start happening, and it's all it was like a sapphire and steel, sapphire and steel type story where time is trying to correct itself and repeat. And I love that notion of time being a force. It was like a Final Destination film as well, with events trying to kill people, time becoming a hostile force like that lovely story and I was looking at the end of my time on Doctor Who I had this idea about Midnight that just wouldn't go away and poor Tom had to be thrown on the bonfire it's terrible that, that's when your job is terrible that's when your job is out and we've, bear in mind also we've paid for that script yeah. the whole script you paid for uh, gone chucked away because I said I want to write this and I gave us a four days to write it and said if it's not written by Monday we'll go with it. The, the tone meeting was on the Monday it's like if I haven't written Midnight by Monday, then we'll go with Century House. If I can finish this over the weekend, then we'll do it. Mad! Wow. Again, I mean, marvellous, but again, freedom. What am I, freedom to fail there, obviously, but the freedom you get, brilliant. And then you go to turn left where you do, you do another alternate, you, you kill the Doctor. Yes. Uh, and what, and, you, and you, kill, you kill everybody, actually. And the, the, the whole world, yes, 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 yes. It's funny, because when you hear kids talking about regeneration now, I think kids think the Doctor can't die. I think they think if he's killed, he always regenerates. I don't, do you think that's the case? No, no. If he's killed, no, he's the, dead. The Castellan gets shot in exactly. the Exactly. It's, like, it's, it's quite a fine line there, that they think he'll never die. And I think it's quite important to think that he can die. He, he's kind of, he become, that's when he becomes Superman, yeah. or 
godlike when you think, and it's like put a bullet through Will's heart, chop his head off, he's dead. He's not going to regenerate. It's really, I really wanted to get that across. I mean, obviously, I had a bigger story to tell, but it was a great chance to sort of go look if Canary Wharf had landed splat on his head when he was flooding it with that giant spider, he would be dead. It's great, isn't it? That sonic screwdriver falling out of his hand is like. Can I tell you what my favourite bit of that story is? What? It's the look between Joseph Long and Bernard Cribbins when he's being taken away and they both know they both what know. nobody else is saying. They both know. And the sort of comedy funny Italian character is mm. now a guy that is being taken with away. His to kids? Yeah. With his kids, yeah. his wife and kids and they're being taken off. And the, the dignity between those two Bernard. men is beautiful. Oh. I have just written Bernard's Old Jack's Boat Christmas special. Apparently it's absolutely heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> it's 15, 20 minutes long at Christmas. They might show it on BBC One about 8 o'clock in the morning or something. It's Bernard, it's old Jack as old but it's, it's an unexpectedly sad Christmas tale. The director just emailed me saying, it's the saddest thing you've ever seen in life. People will be in floods of tears because Bernard just does that. What a joy. That bit where you find him singing um, <laughs> uh, Bohemian Rhapsody with the Italians. It's just everyone. I mean, and, and Jack's in that. At that scene, I loved writing that one. That was, um, where she just lies, the, the mum lies in the... They're sleeping in the kitchen in sleeping bags. Like refugees, like we like happens in the world. You know, we're so comfortable yeah. in this country. And there's people like the noble family all over the world who end up sleeping on the floor and they love each other, but they don't have any food or any money. And that bit where she just lies on the floor and remembers that woman from the news agents who's probably dead now. They'll never know. There's not even a way of finding out who's dead and who isn't anymore. Oh, we're steps away from that in our civilization. I love that. That's one of my favourites, that one. Yeah, that bus they travelled to. Everything in that story is perfect. They travelled to Leeds on that bus. And it's a perfectly chosen military bus. That's a design team at the height of their powers. I remember them emailing me pictures of what bus do you want them to travel in? And you probably fly bus, but it's a kind of German military bus. It's actually Belgian, I remember. Perfectly chosen bus. It's in one shot, just one shot, and then it's gone. Brilliant. And then we have Doctor Who in the kitchen sink, where you know, <laughs> everybody is in it. Uh, I remember watching oh the, the, the first, you know, opening of that and just going, oh, "It's everyone, really isn't it? Done it." Cardiff, and then you go London, and then you go oh, New York, don't you? The Freemans in New York, <laughs> Ealing. <laughs> I see Sarah Jane. I wish I'd put um, the rest of the Sarah Jane Adventures team in there. It's I should I should have just I was slightly saving money, going, "Well, we won't have Clyde in there." We'll say. Maria's off stage and everything. It's like they should have all been in that attic. Well, nobody's talking. Everyone talks, you know, you get everybody in it, you bring Harriet Jones back and you kill her. <laughs> Nobody mentions that the fact that the, the, the uh, gap between appearances in Doctor Who and you kill is Geeta from EastEnders. We've been in dimensions in time. Now in. Who you kill? I know. Now in Citizen Khan. <laughs> she's good. She survived. She's married to Citizen Khan now. I know. I'm surprised she did that part. I've got to be honest. It's like two lines. It shows that good old actors, they don't complain about anything. They just come and do it. They get the Dalek disintegration wreck. It's marvellous. But does that make Dimensions in Time canon now? Because she's, she's well, we're all a bit stuck with that, aren't we? Because <laughs> it's like it's got Pauline Fowler in it and Kathy Beale, and they're oh, all dead. Yeah, and yet, true. you know, we can digest this, Toby. <laughs> we can make it all happen in the same world. We can accept Victoria going off for graphology lessons. We can do all of this. But it was the, it was the sort of, I mean, it, it seems to be, the, because we then just, we have the specials which were a slightly different thing. Mm. Russell T. Davis's Doctor Who goes, kapow, that seems to be your, your everything. And you bring Rose back, which is yes, an yes, interesting yes, yes. thing to do, having given her that wonderful departure to then bring her back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you give Donna. Uh, I know. 
a hard man. I know. That was sad, wasn't it? I remember they were shooting uh, Silence in the Library on the day that script was issued to the cast and crew. And obviously, Catherine knew what was going to happen and David knew what was going to happen, but no one else did. I remember going on set, filming one of those corridors where, where um, hey, who put out the lights, was chasing the Doctor up and up and down. And it was like there'd be the death. The actual people like looking at me, you know, tutting and sighing and shaking their heads. And I was going, everyone all right? Yeah. They were like that because Donna Noble had been written out. They were gutting because everyone loved Catherine. Everyone just loved working with her. I know. It's like, I know. I know. Should we have kept her on for the specials? No. You have to. The, the, the point is when you have a great big victory like that for the Doctor, you have to have a loss. Something has to go. It's like you can't have him bring all his companions together and save the entire universe without any sort of loss whatsoever. You can't. He'll never be happy. I know, it's like you have to. And yet, look, he saved the world. It's not bad. Everyone else is comparatively happy. (laughs) (laughs) It's not bad for the rest of them. They all fly the TARDIS home. Oh, I love that. We had such a good time doing that. And then Doctor Who sort of changes, doesn't it? Doctor Who, um, for you, you were aware that you know, you were going to wind down. Yeah, well, oh, I knew we were leaving, absolutely. I knew it kind of looks like we were winding down. It was just as busy as ever, really, because Torchwood, although we only made five episodes of Torchwood that year, it was changing into a completely different beast. It became Torchwood Children of Earth. You know, we, in our spare time, we prepared a five-part serial for BBC One to go out in a consecutive night. That's a year's work for a lot of people, plus Sarah Jane at the same time. And we never took, I never took my eye off Sarah Jane, never, because I promised... Liz, when Liz came to do Sarah Jane, I said, I will always be on top of the show. I will always be in charge of the scripts. I will always make sure it's good. I promise you it'll be a good show. I want you to make a promise like that to an actor. You have to see it, let alone Danny and Angie and everyone who were brilliant. You know, I love that cast. So it was kind of as busy as ever. And the Doctor was, although obviously it was less, but um, I was busy. And I was sort of planning to move abroad at the same time as well. That was, that was enough with um, meetings and do down and stuff like that. So... Um, didn't feel like a quieter time to be honest we were still hurtling towards because the next doctor was being well yes you're responsible for the most annoying thing that happened to us <laughs> around that period because at school, at school now I was the Doctor Who person that parents would go oh did you see Doctor right. Who and the amount of people at the Winter Fair that came up and went uh, I know who's going to be the new Doctor Who and you go who and they go uh, I think you'll find it's, it's David, David Morrissey <laughs> oh do you think that's what they, do you think that's what the gag is do you think they're going to call it the next Doctor there's going to be a bloke who's the Doctor and the twist is that he's the Doctor it's funny the amount of people think because again we're very well versed in it and we you know I agree with you I was going really it would be even like newspapers would sort of say and David Morrissey is the next Doctor or an incarnation of the Really? How can you really? Of course he isn't. Of course it's not remotely likely. That's the pitch. It's fun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's a man who says he is. How is he not? And like, and the doctor kind of knows he isn't. Well, certainly from the moment his sonic screwdriver appears, he taps on the wood. That's like from that bone on. There's no mystery in it, sort of stuff. And it's funny, though, isn't it? It's, it's, yes, it's, it's. It, I don't think that misfired because, well, look, it dragged 13 million people to see that. It's like I think, I think uh, David Morrissey is a lovely star, honestly. But I think the title dra- dragged 13 million to say that. Okay. 13 million, Toby. Should we say that again? 13 million. 13 million. million. Watched That's a big cyber man big... stomp over. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest cyber man in the world. <laughs> Dreadnought class. <laughs> I love it when you can throw in phrases like Dreadnought class. That makes sense. And a very gimlet eyed Derbler Cohen. And I thought, God, Wonderful. what to do. Wonderful. She I, was brilliant. And you killed Andre, Andre Morel's son in a churchyard. Yes, who I'd been at Oxford with, yes. I knew him, yeah, yeah, yeah. Many, I haven't seen him since I've been at Oxford. And um, lovely man. Good actor, actually. Um, hard to cast him, because he's very 
rich and very handsome, and, and, and I'm glad we found a part for him. It's Jason Morell who plays the vicar, who yes. is killed by the Cybermen. Just that bit from the Bible that is so like about the creation of a Cyberman. You know, you leave through going, where's the burial service? Oh, oh, you will be resurrected, you will be changed. You go, hello, that's, 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 that's Lumic speeches. Brilliant. Uh, and then, so we go through the, uh, we go to uh, the Planet of the Dead with, uh, with uh, Michelle Ryan. Michelle, beautiful and Michelle. And Dubai and a bus that gets broken in transit. Oh, the anecdotes about that have been told yeah. too many times. Yeah. Too many, it's hard to come up with a new, but it was all about that bus. Because yeah. it's funny, you laugh at the time and it's like, and again, that's been anecdotalised. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. I was, I was in Manchester and about, Six in the morning, got the call about the bus. It's like we're sending a car. Come to Cardiff now. Travel all the way across Cardiff, all the way, all the way across Britain to sit in a room full of people who were weeping practically. <laughs> and, and people like Ed who were sitting there. There was never a moment when Ed Thomas didn't have a smile on his face. And, you know. And then once the solution's been done, it looks simple. The bus got damaged. Hooray! But before we've reached that solution, it's a nightmare of of the, of the options. And we didn't know what state the bus was in. We didn't know. Then they were like getting photos sent live from from Dubai saying how badly the bus was wrecked. And can we film it? Can we move it? Can we move it? Is it is it gonna slice someone's head off if we even move it? And now we're gonna transport it to the desert. Will it fall apart? Oh it was a proper nightmare now. With all with your schedule, with the set building all coming at a rate of knots, all the flights booked or everything booked. Oh, it's again, you tell it as a funny story. Oh my god, that was painful. That hurt. Fine in the end, all fine. And then you go to Mars, and you turn the frighteners on again. You, it's interesting. You you go to when you go to bases and put them under siege. You turn up the frightometer. Yes, I suppose that's that's that. I was growing. You know, I remember those sixty stories. I it's remember. I was a kid. I was never scared of space. I was scared of fusty things like vampires and ancient rituals oh, and right. cabalistic signs. Yeah. So the fact that you turn space scary is is something that draws me to those stories. Good. Much. Right. Yes. Because. Yes, I think there's always that. I always don't. I don't like. Don't particularly like space stories where they're all walking around going, "Ha ha, hello." Uh, you can come. <laughs> we're still yammering on. Can you believe I haven't stopped? We're, 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 near the end. we're still on my first episode. <laughs> we're still on me at ten discovering. And how, and how many did you do? <laughs> Sixty. <Yeah. laughs> we, we are on like number fifty-seven or something. Yeah, we've got. We've Paul Toby's had no choice. He's just been bleeding from the ears, and I just keep not, going. It's not. It's my okay. fault. My question. And I keep going. And terrible. another thing, another way in which I was marvellous is your hair's hardly. Have you done it for that? Oh yeah, no, she just. Oh, that's tiny. Though. That's lovely. Beautiful. Toby, mention the hair. You've got lovely hair. <laughs> <laughs> Woman goes to get. No, 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 Do you know why? Yes. Well, no, I'd always done that, and um, I just got tired of not getting a credit for it. <laughs> it's like, do you know what though? I say because I know, I know what it's like out there. I know we get criticised for taking up other people's scripts and, and rewriting them, not saying when I'm rewriting them. When I did all those rewrites on other people's scripts, I never put my name on them, so they got every single repeat fee. Some of those scripts were 100 percent me, and I don't get a penny for them because those writers did a lot of work, and it's only fair, and I get paid very well. Thank you very much. So I don't need the money. So. Let me just say that in my defence, Toby, yeah, that um, there's a lot to. of unpaid and certainly with no repeat fee payments 
rewriting on it whatsoever because if it stays in the writer's name, they get all the money. Hooray for me! Yeah. By the end of four years, I kind of had enough of that. <laughs> and I just went, and, and it was part of the deal of going to Gareth and going to Phil in the first place, saying, look, we'll do this the normal way, but this will be a joint credit. And at the same time, I was doing it on Torchwood as well, I was doing some rewrites on lovely James Moran's and that. And actually, I went, it's just fair in the end. I'm sorry, I just think it's fair to say I was just tired. You could see, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but that's the tiredness showing, perhaps. But it's only fair. So yeah. um, the stories will be cooked up together. They do a first draft or a second draft, then I take it over. And, um, what did what had Peter O'Brien's character done? I love the fact that we never. Found I have it. no idea. I do love you know? The fact that we never yes, and I, I. Do you know I love not answering that? I I and I think and I genuinely mean that because I think someday one day one of those Doctor Who novels will be written about that. Someone will come in and fill it. I love those gaps, where I'm not in charge of 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 what it is, and I don't know. No idea whatsoever. It's something. It's more than just a failed love affair, isn't it? It's something yeah. quite dark. There's some sort of betrayal there, and he, she probably saved him. She probably saved his career. I don't know. Ed Gold. What a great name, Ed Gold. And you, you. His death's good, isn't it? It's the, all the deaths. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, the deaths yeah. The angle spins good. around on that. You don't realize what you're looking at, and then you realize she's beneath him. Oh, brilliant! They were scary. They worried me. Those monsters. I thought they were. Water Borderline too yeah. scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You make it making water scary. Yes. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Yes. I always kind of part of me always wishes we call it water can wait. It's that great line the doctor says water can wait. I think that's a great title. That. Oh. Then again, waters of Mars is going to draw more people in. Let's be honest. Um, water can wait's classy though. Is it? The doctor says it. It is. Because where's down? He says that speech about where's down mountains. Where's that? Just water can wait. Nice. That's, yes. Nice. And that. Lindsay Duncan, bless her. Yes. Well, she loved it as well. She'd never done anything quite like that before. She absolutely loved it. She loved David as well. Brilliant. And then that brings you to your, your goodbye. We're at the end. Are we not going to talk about the scene on board the TARDIS I wrote for John Barrowman's Tonight's the Night? Where, <laughs> <laughs> where he fought the alien Sal Till. That was the last piece of Doctor Who I ever wrote. Oh, apart <laughs> from the Sarah Jane one. But it's like, what an ignominious end. It's John Barrowman farted about in the TARDIS with... A man who's won a competition on his entertainment show to be an alien. Yeah, no, somebody, somebody else can be do the uh, <laughs> the, the near canon. The ephemeral. I've done. To be fair, I've done K Nine and Company. And uh, oh no, that, that's that's canon. That's that's legit. That's... Is it? Is that canon? Okay. Well, the fact that K Nine ends up with Sarah Jane means it really happened. Okay. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, but then that opens me up to Sarah Jane Adventures and Torchwood and all that sort of thing. Right. And I'm nearly dead already. I forgive you there. So we will get to um, the, the end of David Tennant. The end um, of time. The end of time, parts one and two, not individual titles. No, it was. The first episode was called uh, The Last Days of Planet Earth. It was called, we actually had that as a title. We actually got the title sequence made and we sat in the dub and it came up and we all burst out laughing. <laughs> the final days. It's... it's, it's it's, I think Timothy Dalton says it in his voice. So, uh, the final, the final days of Planet Earth. Everyone laughed. I went, okay. <laughs> it's really just called the end of time, isn't it? And Julie went, let's have for the first time, let's have a part one and part two. This deserved. And so, well, that's the, so okay. Well, you've come and done my podcast, and you've given me an anecdote for every single. Blimey! Weren't really anecdotes, were they? Does that like, count? No, this that, I, that counts. I had a sentence in which something happened. And my anecdote about the end of time was that the title was once different. <laughs> That's terrible. That's fine. As but anecdotes I, I, go, I, people say to you, Toby, what was your favourite anecdote? <laughs> In the history of the well, when Russell T. Davis said that the well, title was once different. I think Laurie Lewin is going to do this as well. So, uh, uh, tall, spiky man. 
Oh, brilliant. Oh, he was hilarious. Yeah. Oh, I liked him. He's a friend of a friend, so he's, he's quite cute. Him things. and Bernard Cribbins doing the Millennium Falcon, fighting, doing laser beams, fighting <laughs> those guns. It's like when you get moments like that, you just think, oh, this is working. It's like Bernard Cribbins loved that. He loved it so much. That was very happy. It was a very nice time. Being, I remember being on set on that, in that big David Harewood's big room and um, we kind of knew it was all coming to an end. David was there and Bernard Cribbins sat there and they were setting up the time. And Timothy Dalton was swanning about in his robe. He thought, this is a real laugh. I've loved this. It was one of those times you actually think it's coming to an end now. You won't be sitting on mad sets like this with mad green screens and guest stars dressed as Time Lords and Bernard Cribbins and David in that suit. It was brilliant. It's funny now with this 50th coming up because now there's David running about as the Tenth Doctor saying lines and doing this. I've got a clue for the first time ever. I don't know what the Tenth Doctor is doing. I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. It's like, I don't know what, I wonder what his last line will be. He'll now have a new last line. Can you imagine? Yeah. That's weird, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Unless they slip the old one back in. <laughs> I don't want to go. So, told you I didn't want to go. Yeah, I told you I don't want to go. <laughs> like that. Actually, no, Steve Lee probably has done that. Well, and yeah, so we're talking about the 50th, which is why we've convened here and why you've done this ridiculous podcast of mine. So, that, so that all the Doctor Who fans listening, I always ask for a message. What is Well, first I ask for your charity. What's your charity, Russell? Oh, um, right. I always give to the Terence Higgins Trust, actually. Higgins Trust. Yes, which is fine charity and I will do a link at the end in my outro thank and you thank it's you the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who Russell T Davis what is your message to all the Doctor Who fans out oh there? my goodness I, my message I have a message I'm coming back <laughs> <laughs> oh no um, I just think to do the, to, well, to be asked that in this week of all weeks is just extraordinary because last night I sat down and on my home computer downloaded an episode from 45 years ago it's the Doctor Who just is never predictable you can never tell what's going to happen with it it's it, i literally think it is better in all ways than star trek and star wars and buffy and all of those other franchises and institutes and legends because nothing is as mad as this show nothing takes you as much by surprise nothing is as funny and nothing is as brilliant and nothing is as important as this show and last night just proved it the sensation last night of sitting there watching the web of fear Part two, for the first time in 45 years at midnight. So technologically doing something you've never done before. But actually, it's something I did watch when I was five years old. You know, technology is normally cold and austere. And to be using a piece of technology in a way that meant so much, knowing that thousands and thousands of people with exactly the same frame of mind were sitting there and lots of them were texting me saying, it's crashed! (laughs) (laughs) Phil Collins was going mad because his iTunes had crashed. It's like... I just think this program just keep rewarding you. That's what my message is. I don't know what sort of message that is in the end, but just keep loving the show and it will keep rewarding you because it does, doesn't it? It keeps on being new and it keeps on taking you by surprise. And I hear from Peter Capaldi, there are glory days ahead. It's brilliant. It is the best. We should all say and tell everyone it's the best. Well, as I record this, the next one out is with the woman who is the PA on the Ice Warriors. And little do those oh, people wow. know that lovely Sheena Rayford is the next release of the thing that will lead to an interview uh, of this length and with this much enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, and I can't believe that you agreed to do it, and I'm really grateful that you did. So, oh, Russell T. Davis, thank you very much. Thank you, Toby. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> Faithful viewer. That was marvellous. <laughs> we were marvellous. Thank you so much. I'm sorry to...
Well, there we are. That is the end of the material recorded for this ridiculous podcast, which got us to 150 editions. Uh, that was all the material recorded in 2013. So, um, of course, I stopped. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, season two of Toby Hayduke's podcast, uh, podcast, who's around, um, continues as normal next week, um, because I've since interviewed 50 or so people, at least, um, who for some reason I didn't get to do in 2013. There are only so many days in the year. Um, and I found I'd enjoyed doing it, and the response from you people has been very nice. No idea how many people listen, if I'm honest, though. Um, so I've carried on and uh, got some very interesting names, some quite obscure names, and some famous people. Um, I'll do a selection of clips to whet your appetite, but before we go to those, please donate to Russell's charity, which is the Terence Higgins Trust, which you can find at www.tht.org.uk. tht.org.uk. Uh, a fine cause, one that's close to Russell's heart, and because he gave us so much time and so much enthusiasm, please do donate for, for every edition of his podcast, because I think you've had extra special entertainment thanks to his generosity. So, yes, as I go out of the 2013 lot, uh, I'd like to thank everybody. Uh, I did a big roll call on edition 100 at Christmas last year. Big thanks to everybody that's helped out, and especially for this one, for Russell, um, who gave me his whole day uh, after we both stayed up all night watching Enemy of the World and the Web of Fear. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Toby Haydock, at T-O-B-Y-H-A-D-O-K-E. And um, I'm running for my charity, the Psoriasis Association. I am running the uh, Great Manchester Run on May the 22nd. And I have a Virgin Giving uh, page, uh, which is um, Virgin Money Giving, Toby Haydock. Um, so that's uh, uk.virginmoneygiving, all one word, dot com, forward slash Toby Haydock. Um, capital T, capital H, all run together. Um, I'd like to raise some money for a good cause, and uh, it's going to hurt me, and I'll probably cry, and I'll definitely be puffed. So um, if you've got a spare shekel, bung it my way, um, as I've not charged you a penny for this. And uh, if I raise as much money for the charity as I've spent doing this podcast, buying actors lunch, um, I'll somehow reset the sensible karmic balance of the world. But you don't have to. It's up, it's up to you. Anyway, here's some clips of what's to come. Um, I'm very proud of this achievement. I've just listened back to that chat to uh, edit it. Um, and, it, yeah, thanks for being enough of you out there to justify me doing it. Um, and I'll carry on. I don't know when I'll stop, when I get bored. But I'm not sure I'll ever get bored of Doctor Who. Goodbye. Uh, I think I was fired four times <laughs> by uh, Nathan Turner. When he uh, needed a cigarette badly, because I, I banned smoking from the control room. At that point, I'd given up smoking. I didn't like it around me. And he smoked all the time. And... It was only in the final day of the final recording that he broke the rule and he smoked. I suppose the short answer is John Nathan Turner is to blame. And, and I like John, and I'm a great admirer of John. But the, the fact was he'd, he'd been the producer for the last, what, 10 years, 12 years? So if people had taken against Doctor Who, taken against it, which they had, what they were taking against was what John had done. So John would have to carry 
you'd have to take the rap, I think. If people, if they, I mean, partly they cancelled Doctor Who because of the way it had been under John's tenure. But partly they cancelled it because it was Doctor Who. Because it was Doctor Who, because it was science fiction, and they always hated that stuff. The producer, uh, Verity Lambert, uh, came to graphic design department, got me, and she suggested I come to Ealing Film Studios to see some film they'd got. And um, this was all free because they'd got some free howl round technique, this electronic effect, which is soft, blobby moving clouds, which I thought was fantastic because I'd never seen anything on video that I liked because I'd mainly worked, um, all the graphics I'd worked on film. We're all very similar in some ways, actors, and that, that is, I think, we're very sympathetic with other human beings and we like getting into other people's skin and trying to imagine what it is to be that person and it always troubles me if I can't you know like Stalin pun it worried me for years until I read have you read um, The Young Stalin oh wow you've got to read it I, first time in my life I understood why he'd become such a monster there was an actor who was on the show, and he's like, hey, hey, man, good to meet you. And I was like, hey, 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 how you doing, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. He's talking to me in an American accent. And I was like, oh, he must be American. You know, some of these people are American, some of them aren't. <laughs> I keep asking him where he's from. And he said, and he said, <laughs> he's like, ah, yeah, I'm from the East, East. I was like, oh, what, near like New York or... I kept going until he was there, he said, no, Hackney. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed. Because I just, I'm, you're looking at this actor who's just, you know, more or less my age. And he's looking into my eyes and just lying to me. <laughs> and, and it's absurd. It's like, why are you doing acting to me? Why are you acting at me? And I, I just thought that was just nuts. You know, just acting in, in this, just hanging around, acting. The 21st century is when everything changes, and we're ready. Obviously. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Torchwood. One rule. I'm standing on an invisible lift, and I'm about to enter Torchwood 3. Hooray. You must be Torchwood, then. It's the murders, you see. There's been five in the last two weeks. Well, murders? That's what the police are for. Oh, I thought you might help me. Oh, bless you, but no. I'm from London. I don't do local politics. Good night. I run a top-secret organisation that protects all of Great Britain from invasion. I have tea with the Queen twice a week. I'm trying to keep you alive and you're behaving like children. In fact, I've had enough of this city. Everyone get out! 
Big Finish. We love stories. Oh, oh, happy day.